Evening Church. Uh, the reading's Luke 6, 27 to 42. Already. But I say to you who listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. And if anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks from you. And from the one who takes away your things, don't ask for them back. Just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. But if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to be, be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good and lend expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the Most High. For he is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can the blind guide the blind? Won't they both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself don't see the log in your eye? Hypocrite. First take the log out of your eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck in your brother's eye. Well, good afternoon, everyone. I see a few uh, faces who are here this morning, which is really helpful. You'll be able to help out when I ask questions. Uh, so let's pray for us. Heavenly Father, as we hear and read the words of Jesus, please help us to understand what maybe has confused us or challenged us in the past and maybe we've put aside. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, please empower us to become what we can never be in our own power. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Donald Trump once spoke a sentence containing the words love and enemies together. I'm wondering if you could possibly imagine how he put, got those two words in one sentence. Well, here it is. I love to have enemies. I fight my enemies. I like beating my enemies to the ground. Now you take that sentence, or those two sentences, and as we had read out to us before, Jesus spoke a sentence with those two words, love and enemies, in it about 2,000 years ago. He said, But I say to you who listen, love your enemies. Now here's my proposition. Donald's position 
even if people might not put it in such crass terms, I think Donald Trump's position reflects much more the spirit of our age or the, our culture than Jesus' position. And I'd go further and say that Jesus' position is totally countercultural and when pro- pro- properly understood, regardless of what country you're in, at what time in history, it would have been amazing to actually hear someone actually say that and mean it and want to apply it in their lives. Now, we're picking up on a series on Luke that we ended in June last year. I don't know if any of you remember the last sermon that was in, on uh, Luke. Uh, Trav gave it. That's last year. Uh, well, we're in the middle of a teaching session by Jesus. And today, Jesus gives two important principles, or more importantly, commands, of how to live like one of his followers. And that's basically what we're going to be looking at this evening. The first one is, love your enemies. That's from verses 27 to 36. And the second one is, don't be judgy. J-U-D-G-Y. Don't be judgy. And under each of these two parts, I want us to explore two questions. The first is, why? Why should we love our enemies? And why should we not be judgy? And I guess that's talking about motivation. And the second is, how? How do you love your enemies? And how do you not be judgmental? And that's the strategies that Jesus offers for those two parts. So here's part one. Love your enemies. Luke 6, 27, the first part. But I say to you who listen, love your enemies. Now, who has Jesus got in mind when he's talking about these enemies of his disciples? Well, he identifies them back in verse 22 in Luke 6 when he says, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, insult you and slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man, that is Jesus. So why are we to love these enemies? The first one's just going to be so obvious because Jesus told us to. But the only reason that that can have any weight is if you recognise that Jesus has got a claim on your life, that you need to hear him say hard things to you and to me, which leads straight into the reason that Jesus gives in verses 32 and 34. And he does this by a series of uh, tight-knit logic. He's giving this, this scenario of, if you love those who love you, well, what credit is that to you? I mean, how, how wonderful is that, that you can love people who love you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? That's a big whoopee, isn't it? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, 
Well, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. It just, it's what you do. It's pragmatic. It's the way you go on in life. But when Jesus presented this, he's actually setting his disciples apart as God's people. This is a new way of living. And some of you may have actually heard of the golden rule, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Well, this is where it comes from. Um, And any of you who had an opportunity to look at some other religions in the world, you may have heard someone say something like, most of the major religions in the world have some version of the golden rule. Um, For example, the ancient Chinese uh, philosopher Confucius, he said, what you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. And the ancient Greek philosopher Aristotle, he said, we should behave to our friends as we wish our friends to behave to us. And when you hear that, uh, it's easy to actually think, well, what's the difference between what these people, these ancient sages have said and what Jesus has said? But when you unpack their reasoning, the idea is if you don't hurt someone else, then you're more likely not to be hurt yourself. But there's a problem with that. Because when I read the Bible, and I'm sure when you read the Bible right from the very beginning, right through, the constant message of the Bible is doing good for others as Jesus defines it will lead to persecution. You get hurt for doing the good thing. And you see that uh, in that first part of uh, Luke chapter 6 when people who uh, they actually meet a true disciple of Jesus and their reaction is all they all hate them. But there's a positive side to this and that is when people actually know who you are representing, that is Jesus, it just might open some interesting conversations which may lead them to know Jesus personally. Uh, you know, there's someone maybe in your life and you're thinking, they, they hate it when you talk about Jesus or bring up God. Um, and you don't know what God is doing in their heads, even though they seem to be shaking their fist at heaven or also shaking their fist at you. You don't know what's going to come out of that because God can do amazing things with hopeless cases. And by God's generosity, generosity, it could be that this person who has been an enemy of the good news of Jesus actually can become a child of God. And the Bible's packed with people who are like that. And churches are packed with people like that, people who hated God but now love God because they've had an encounter with Jesus. Well, which leads to a third reason why we should love our enemies. Because as God's children, we should behave like God. Family rules, the way that God presents as the Father, it should filter through to the family. So you have a 
statement like Romans chapter 5, verse 10, where we are reminded, while we were enemies, and the Apostle Paul was actually saying, while we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. How did he, when did he reconcile us? While we were still enemies. We weren't in a position of being friends with God. God is the one who moved, who made us friends with God, not the other way around. So Christians have got an obligation and an example of God himself to love even our enemies. But Jesus wants us to move from just knowing why we are to love our enemies and he tells us how to love them. And some of them are a bit of a surprise. And just before I go on, this is a sort of an aside. It's possible if you are a Christian and you've uh, been to a school and you've uh, hung around with people, you've gone to work, and there's been no one who's actually challenged you or seems to be a problem with you. You, you don't have any enemies. And you're thinking, well, what's this got to do with me? I don't know what percentage of people I'm talking to at this point. But can I say, you live long enough as a Christian, don't worry. God will bring along people who are enemies of the gospel for the express purpose of making them friends with God. That's how they become friends. They have to be en- they are enemies to begin with, but they have to be confronted with that fact before they see the need for Jesus. Now, on the odd chance that you're still in that position where you feel, okay, I'm going along in life and I don't have any enemies, okay? That's still a really good opportunity to practice what we're looking at here with your friends. Because there is a wider uh, commitment, isn't there, to for Christians to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And the second commandment is like it, love your neighbour as you love yourself. So everyone's in the category of needing, requiring love. And for a broad picture of what love looks like, you could always go to the love chapter in the Bible. Now, is it okay, Tyler, if I do this to you? No, he's not sure. Can any, if, if no one answers, Tyler has to answer this. What's the... This, this is like one of those shows on TV. You answer the question before I actually ask the question. You've been, got a cheat card there. 1 Corinthians 13, exactly. 1 Corinthians 13 is the one. And <coughs> if I just read a little uh, bit from uh, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, let's see, here it is. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, it's not boastful, it is not arrogant, it isn't rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not irritable and does not keep a record of wrongs. And it goes on. Here's a little exercise I think it would be worthwhile for all of us to do when you get home. Sit down, open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13. If you forget the, where the reference is, ring Tyler. Okay? <laughs> 1 Corinthians 13. And as you're reading it, read it through as it is to begin with, then read it again, and every time it says love, put in the word Jesus. And all of a sudden you see, this is is such a, a clear picture of what Jesus is like. Jesus is the one who is patient, who is not envious, who doesn't keep a record of wrongs. 
Now, after you've done that exercise, here comes the second part of the exercise. Read it through again, and every time you see the word love, stick your own name in it. Is not envious, is not rude, does not keep a record of wrongs. And just sit with it for a while and say, is this consistently a description of me? Now, I know what the answer is for me. I suck at it so often. And I am so glad that it is Jesus who scores 100% and he allows me to enter a relationship with his father because of Jesus doing what I could not do. That might make you give you a new appreciation of what it means to understand the love of God. But in this part of Luke, Jesus actually gives some particular examples of how to love your enemies. And here's one, uh, verse 27, uh, Luke 6, 27, second half of the verse. Do good to those who hate you. That's how you show love. So we aren't to use our energy trying to get back at them. And notice it doesn't start with feeling good about your enemy. You know, when feelings guide you rather than the word of God, They'll lead you up the very dangerous garden path. I am not saying you should hide your feelings, whatever you're feeling. You know, when you open up the book of Psalms and you read through many of the Psalms, the Psalmists start off with just expressing the most negative of feelings. And you're thinking, this is in the Bible, the feelings that they're expressing. But then as they work through it, you find they're being honest with God, with their feelings, and then they say, regardless of how I feel, I'm committing myself to you. And that's the same thing that we see that Jesus is actually doing here. Um, They commit to following God regardless of their feelings. Sometimes feelings follow after a while, Maybe they won't, but are you committed to hearing the word of Jesus? Many years ago, when I first became a Christian, when I was 17 years old, there was um, a really godly guy who um, I got to know very well. He's gone to be with the Lord. His name's Ian. And he gave me a definition of love that has stuck with me for about 50 years. So here it is. Love is an aggressive concern for the well-being of another person. Love is an aggressive concern for the well-being of another person. When Jesus was in Gethsemane in that garden, waiting to be betrayed and waiting to go to the cross, his feelings were all sadness and grief. Read it in John chapter 17. It is a horrific chapter of seeing Jesus in pain. But it was his concern for my eternal well-being and your eternal well-being 
that he endured the cross because love is an aggressive concern for the well-being of another person. So just like Jesus, do good to those who hate you. A second uh, way of loving those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you, verse 28. And um, I thought it was fantastic, that new song tonight. I don't know if there are any particular lyrics that jumped out at you. The ones that jumped out at me was, No enemy too foul to bless. No enemy too foul to bless. That is what Jesus does. He blesses those who are foul through sin and rebellion against God, but he still blesses. He blessed through going to the cross. You know, there's no circumstance in a Christian's life where it is inappropriate to pray. And 2024 is the year where our church has the double focus of prayer and Bible reading. And in our growth groups, we're going, oh, by the way, if uh, you're not in a growth group, there's someone you Got to have a chat with tonight, and that's Katie who's at the back. You want to wave, Katie? You're ready to receive all those people who want? Yeah, excellent. Or talk to someone who you know is in a growth group and just say, yeah, what's it like? And hopefully it'll be really good. <laughs> uh, in our growth groups, we're going to be encouraged to think of three people that we can be praying for that God has put in our sphere of contacts to get to know Jesus. Now, what if... At least one of those people is someone that you have found particularly resistant to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus. Maybe someone who has said, and I've heard this a few times, I don't know if you've heard something like this, if I came to your church, it'd collapse. I don't know if you've heard that. I've heard it a couple of times. Now, my response to that one is, why not test that hypothesis? Come along. Let's see what happens. And why not test that hypothesis and get to your growth group to join in with you praying for that person? You know, God has a strong record of specialising in hopeless cases. Pray for them, especially the ones you find it hard to have positive thoughts about. If you're anything like me, I'm sure you've got a little list of people of uh, those who not only just drain you, but when you shudder, oh, maybe that's the one that God is now actually saying, you should pray for that person. You know, the same Holy Spirit who let you see the truth of God's word, if you are a Christian, he's the same Holy Spirit who may do an amazing work in the impossible case of yours. So let's pray and see what God does. Something else we can do. In verse 29, <coughs> I was going to have this acted out, but I was just wondering if I had a volunteer. Uh, Pete, would you like to come up here and hit me on the cheek? No? Good. Yeah, he did say no. Didn't you? Yeah. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. And if anyone takes away your coat... 
Don't hold back your shirt either. If I've got this right, when it talks about uh, coat and shirt, um, in that culture there was the outer garment and there was the inner garment. So when you take away the outer garment and take away the inner garment, what's left? You're there, starkers. Yeah? And the question at that point is, well, God, uh, Jesus must be using some sort of a, um, an exaggeration now, I know it's easy to read this and say, oh, that's on hyperbole. It's a literary device using exaggeration. But you're still stuck with the inescapable truth with explaining what it does mean. And when you look at Jesus, Jesus was hanging, as far as I can understand, naked on the cross. It links to verse 30 which says, give to everyone who asks from you and from the one who takes away your things, don't ask for them back. The first part of that is someone comes up and says, oh, could I have? And the second one is someone comes up and just grabs it. And the thing is, you don't ask for them back. How do we deal with that without escaping the, the power of that by just saying, oh, it's an exaggeration that Jesus is using? You've got to look at the cross. And in some way, loving always involves a cost. In the most loving relationship, there will be times when it will be costly to demonstrate the kind of love that I defined before. And if you want to see how God lives up to his own standard, you just look at the cross. And it's interesting that back in Isaiah chapter 53, and before you think I'm going to quote the verse that everyone loves to sing, even before the, uh, if a preacher's up the front and they, they mention it, um, Colin Buchanan's song. Colin Buchanan actually said, I'm, I'm a bit nervous about that song now because no one can actually get through the song without people just making it a jazzy sort of a sound. So I'm not going to use that verse. I'm going a little bit fur further because it still gets to the point. Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8 looking at the standard that God sets at the cross. This is a prophecy of Jesus. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. And a fifth strategy to loving your enemies, you know, Jesus commands, all of his commands seem to be impractical and impossible. And when that happens, when you read something, say, I feel too small, I feel too unable I feel ill-equipped. It's time to focus on the character of God. So we see in Luke chapter 6, verse 36, this is where Jesus wants his disciples to look towards, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Keep your eyes on God. That is the first section, which was, can anyone tell me what's the first section? Love your, love your enemies. So what's the second section? 
Fantastic. Don't be judgy. Why shouldn't we be judgy? The word judging comes with a lot of baggage, I reckon, in each one of our lives. The Bible uses the same word for judging in both a, a good sense and a bad sense, just like it is in English. And for Scrabble players, judgy is a real word. You can use it. Yeah, J-U-D-G-Y. It's been around since the early 1800s. I didn't know that. I, th- I thought it was a pretty, you know, it's one that all the, the young people, all the whippersnappers uh, use, but apparently not. It's been around for a long time. And it means tending to judge others harshly or critically, being judgmental or too quick to criticise people. And that's the kind of attitude that Jesus was against. Because not all judging is wrong, which we'll see a bit later as well. It's okay. Anyone here who aspires to be a, um, a professional judge? Just curious. No? Don't want to admit it anyway? Okay. I want you to know now it's okay if that's what you aspire for. You can be, as a Christian, you can be a judge in a court of law and it's not a sin and we want Christian judges around to make fair judgments. That's a good thing. And for the average Christian, we are also called to make judgments, good judgments. Uh, for example, and here's two, and these are hard ones. And by the way, as I say this, there can be people who actually hear this. If they're not on Jesus' side, they're going to actually say that Jesus is judgy. Here it comes. Uh, oh, and both of these uh, statements are what the Apostle Paul uh, wrote, but Jesus is right behind um, making right judgments. Romans 16, verse 17, I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching that you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. You can see how someone who's listening that from the outside can say, oh, gee, that sounds judgy. That sounds judgmental. Well, what about this one in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11? But now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, that is, calls himself a Christian, but is sexually immoral or greedy an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. And then he asks these questions. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? And the answer is, Paul is not interested in judging anyone outside the church. And then he says, are you not to judge those inside, that is, inside the church? And the expected answer to that is yes. And the Apostle Paul concludes in verse uh, 1 Corinthians 5.13, God will judge those outside, but for those inside, expel the wicked man from among you. Keep the church pure. Now Jesus is definitely talking about an attitude of judgmentalism or being judgy. That's what he doesn't want to see in the Christian's life, in a church. Why should we not be judgy 
First, and you've heard this all, uh, already as far as loving your enemies, why should we not be judgy? Jesus told us not to. That, in one sense, should be enough. But second, being judgy brings about God's rightful judgment on the judgy person. Verse 37, uncomfortable verse, don't judge and you will not be judged. Don't condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Well, that's a few reasons why we shouldn't be judgy. Now we can look at how not to be judgy and Jesus' answer is a bit of a surprise. It starts in uh, Luke 6, verses 30, verse 38 with give. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap for with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. The first strategy for not being judgy is you look for opportunities to give to help them rather than put them down, to take away from them. You remember that your Father in heaven is watching and ready. He's assessing our behaviour. You know that we always have an audience of one. No matter where you are, the time when you think you are totally alone and no one's watching, God is there. He's watching. You can see how not being judgy is actually closely tied with loving your enemy at that point. And that leads to the second point. The second strategy of how not to be judgy is keep your eyes on Jesus and not on the faults of others. In verse 30, Jesus uh, tells his disciples, look, a disciple is not above his teacher. He's setting the scene, the disciple there, uh, that they're supposed to say, ah, oh, they're talking about our teacher is Jesus and we're his disciples. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Well, there you go. The more you become like Jesus and listen to him and follow him, the less judgy you can be because Jesus didn't come to judge. He came to save he had the eternal destiny of the people that he spoke to, even his enemies, in mind. The more you become like Jesus, the less judgy you can be. And here's the third strategy that he gives, and this uh, wonderful um, imagery that he gives there, to deal with the log in your own eye before fiddling with anyone else's specks in their eyes. And if I can just use a little bit of play with the uh, words here. In 41, Jesus says, Why do you look at the tiny little speck in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the telegraph pole in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Oh, brother, let me take that speck that is in your eye when you don't see the dirty big log in your own eye? And Jesus says this to his disciples, Hypocrite. Two-faced person, first take the log out of your eye and then you'll be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You know, the trouble with a metaphoric telegraph pole in your eye, it, it creates a, a, an image, but you're often the last person to see it in yourself. 
And that's where a trusted, godly, wise, courageous friend or a growth group can be very, very helpful because they're willing to actually go out on a limb and say, yeah, that behaviour of yours, it didn't really look like what Jesus would do. There's something about how you handle that. The way you talk to that person, I didn't see Jesus in that. That takes a bit of courage to do. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18, it's got this, this little pithy saying, there is one who speaks rashly like a piercing sword. Ah, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. That is, the tongue of the wise brings spiritual healing. Find someone that you can actually be honest with. You may have heard someone complain that Christians are judgmental. Maybe someone said that about you. I don't know. And when you're in a conversation like that, you're walking on eggshells because it may or may not be a smokescreen. Someone may be using the word as an unfair weapon against a Christian, saying that they are being judgmental, or they might be uh, using it as a weapon against a church. Or they may actually may actually be expressing a belief that a Christian has really been unfair in how they treated someone else. And sometimes we just have to stop and just hear what people say. Some possible approaches um, to that, that statement of Christians are judgmental, it might be, here's, here's some possibilities to go from there. Uh, I guess you know I call myself a Christian. Do you think I'm judgmental? Could be worthwhile if they, if they paint all Christians in the same uh, position. Or are you thinking of a particular situation? And when you ask that question, it means that you might have to sit down for half an hour and hear people talk about how they have been treated badly. And you have to have your activist listening ears going uh, very strongly at that point. Or you might actually say, yeah, do you believe all Christians are judgmental? Because as you said, it sounded like it was very absolute. Or it might be, do you think only Christians are judgmental? And you're not judgmental. Or are you being judgmental, calling me judgmental? When you hear someone who says something like that, a challenge, when you read the Bible, Christians should not be judgmental. And there's heaps of non-judgmental Christians around. And when someone says something like all Christians are judgmental, it's appropriate to challenge them. It's the loving thing to do. But if they say that you are judgmental, it might be helpful to send up a quick prayer to God asking for some insight into your own life before you say anything to that person. And those who have come along to GLOW, they know that there's a song that we sing that talks about sending up an arrow prayer. It's that prayer of Desperation. And basically, the, the most sincere prayer sometimes is, Oh God, help me, when you're in a conversation with someone. You shoot up a prayer to God in the middle of a desperate, uh, desperate situation. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but that's where we ended by looking at how to love your enemies by praying for them. 
It's a reminder that anything worthwhile is done by the Holy Spirit working in our lives. So, I'd like us to pray right now. Let's talk to God. Heavenly Father, you alone know any successes and failures with loving our enemies because of Jesus. And you know our struggles with judgmentalism. Please remind us of why we should continue obeying Jesus and how to do it moment by moment. Please remind us of your grace, your generosity in our own lives. And please shape us by your Holy Spirit to be more like Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.